your Bibles out this morning. We are going to finish up our series. How many of you have been with us the last two weeks with our Love God, Love People series? Amen. This is the mission of our house. This is what we believe God's called us to do. And I'm hoping and praying that as I've been ministering over the last two weeks, I hope and pray that it has encouraged you and empowered you to be more than just a seat sitter, a church attender, but actually become a part of the church. And that is love God with, with everything you got and then love people with everything you got. Because when we love people, it's very easy to win people. But when we don't love them, well, you're not going to win them that way either. So listen, over the last two weeks, we've been setting the course for 2020. This is the mission of our house. This is the mission of this family. This is the mission of what we live by and what we do in this place. But this shouldn't just be the mission of the church, but the mission of all the people that call this place home. We should have one mission, not multiple missions, just one mission in mind so that the church and the community around us can know what we stand for, and that is to love God love people. In week one, we dealt with the first part of this mission, the foremost part, the only way the mission will succeed. And it says here in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, that the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What do you mean, pastor? Well, here's the truth of it. Nothing works if God is number two. And unfortunately, in the culture that we live in today, we place God at second, third, and fourth, and fifth rather than number one. The problem is, is that we make him number one when there's a problem. But we make him number two when nothing's going wrong. Could you imagine a church that treated God the same every day, not just the same when they wanted something? So God says, so Jesus says, listen, the first of all commandments is this. Listen, my people, the Lord God, the Lord is number one. You can't do anything until he becomes number one in your life. Let me help you with something. God's more important than my wife. God's more important than my kids. You go, Pastor, how can you say that? Because without God, I wouldn't have them. Because I understand that every good and perfect thing comes from the Father up above. So I understand that every blessing that I have, every promise that I walk in is because God is number one. Let me help you with something. When things don't start happening in my life, I don't go and complain about what God's not doing. I have to go and take inventory of where I'm placing him in my existence. Because if he's not number one, that is a direct correlation of where I'm standing. I want to be under his promises, his plan, his purpose, his word. And I want to gravitate in those areas. He says, the Lord God, the Lord our God is one. And then he goes on in verse 30 and he says this. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God. Not bellyache at the Lord your God. Not complain at the Lord your God. But to love the Lord your God with what? With all of your heart. With all of your soul. With all of your mind. And with all of your strength. What, what, what does he mean by that? Well, with all of your heart means your heart is beating right now. So he wants you to love him with all of your present. Okay, let's be honest. We love God when he does things. Can I get an amen from somebody? We love God when he answers promises. We love God when he fulfills his word. We love God when he pours out his blessings. But what about when he's not? What about when you can't see the thing? What about in the present condition that you're in right now? Do you love him with all of your now? Then he says, love, you, love, me, love him with all of your, etern with your soul, which means your eternity. So he says, Brian, love me now, but then love me into your future. Oh, it'd be amazing if we loved people into our future. If we loved, because we'd be more committed to stay rather than committed to leave when it doesn't go our way. He said, love me in your now, love me in your eternity. Then he says, love me with your mind. With all of your mind. Why? He said, listen, he said, the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. He says, I need you in all you're getting to get understanding. Get, get your mind right. 
How many of y'all know the biggest fight you have is not in your heart, but it's in your mind? Come on. The Bible says a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if your mind gets jacked up, everything else gets jacked up. He said, commit your mind to me. Renew your mind in me and in my word. If you love me with all of your mind, I'll arrest the thoughts that you have that send you down roads that you shouldn't be on because your mind will stay on me. And those whose mind is stayed upon me shall be in perfect peace. And he goes on, he says, and then love me with all of your strength, with all of your being, exhaust your flesh. Let me tell you a real quick thing. How many of y'all ever have a problem with fighting the flesh? Okay, let me give you let me give you unchurched terms. Sin. You got a problem with some of y'all ain't gonna raise your hand at me? That's all right, I know you. I'm not saying nothing. I don't have a problem with sin, Pastor. I don't have a problem with sin. If you gossiped to yesterday, you sinned. Amen. Okay, we all have a problem with flesh. We have to crucify it daily. That's why the Bible says crucify your flesh daily. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Let me tell you how you break flesh. Exhaust it. Exhaust it. Wear the sucker out. You, he says, love me with all of your strength. Could you imagine if you loved God with all of your strength, it might just kill the flesh nature in you? And you might not have a problem falling back. People pass, I slipped again, I slipped again. I know why you slipped, because you stopped loving God. You started loving you because flesh only satisfies you. It doesn't satisfy anybody else. Can we help you with something? Prove it to you. You notice that when you sin and you get messed up or you make a mistake and everything the world turns against you, notice those friends that once loved you don't love you no more? Why? Because sin only satisfies you. It doesn't satisfy the world. And so if you want to break the thing that's in you, it's called pride. How do I break pride? Love God more than I love myself. And love him till I ain't got nothing left. I said amen. I love him till I don't have anything left. Love him till I'm worn out. Love him till I've exhausted every space of everything that I am. Why? Because that means he's now filled everything that I am. He said, love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then last week we talked about the second part of the mission, which means which we started dealing with the response once we love God. I love how Jesus writes this or, or says this out. He says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then do something else. But none of it starts until we love God first. After we have loved God, then he goes on in verse 31, and he says this. He says, and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as oh lord help us i love what he says he says love he didn't say preach he didn't say prophesy he didn't even say pray he said love everybody wants to be a minister but nobody wants to love anymore everybody wants a pulpit but nobody wants to love anymore everybody wants a spotlight but nobody wants to love anymore and then they complain that no one loves them back you can't love somebody from a spotlight you got to love them from the no lights you got to love them when no one's looking, when no one's paying attention. you got to love them without ever being admonished or celebrated. you got to love them because it's in your heart to love them. But you can't love people until you love God first. got to love God, and then out of loving God, you will have a greater desire to love people. And he says, and to love your neighbor as who? Figured it out. I know why we can't love people anymore, because we don't love us. We spend more time in the mirror looking at what we see and picking it apart rather than understanding that I am fearfully, wonderfully made. It doesn't matter that I might be a little fluffy. God still loves me. You might not like what you look at, but did you ever ask God what he looks at? Instead of letting your eyes deceive you because the world says that you don't look the part, ask God if he's proud with you. Because let me help you with something. We are not all, all are not going to be debonair. You might think you're debonair. You, you can think you're debonair. I think I'm debonair. I walked up this morning in the mirror. I said, doggone, Brian, you did it again. Look at the Lord. That's because I was looking at my wife, and I realized how blessed I was. Amen. All right. Uh, 
<laughs> Y'all like how I fixed that real quick. Y'all saw that. Okay, so, so, but the truth be told is, is that at the, at the end of the day, we, we don't really love ourselves. We want to love ourselves. We want to be pleased with ourselves. We want to be satisfied with who we are. But the problem is, is that the only way we become satisfied with who we are is by what we have or what we do rather than who God created us to be. Well, if I don't have this, I don't have this. I haven't arrived yet. If, if I don't have this, I don't have this. Or if I'm not doing this or I don't have this in the bank account, I haven't arrived yet. It's amazing when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't tell them to bring their bank accounts or their notoriety or their public space. He said, just come. When God called you out of the pits of hell and the pits of sin that you were living in, he didn't say come perfect. He said, just come. See, the truth is, at the end of the day, you got to learn how to love you. I love me. You want to know why? Because I love God. And when I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's real easy to love me. And if I love me, then it's real easy to love you. See, here's the problem. If I stop loving you, then I've stopped loving me. And if I stop loving me, then I stop loving God. See how it directly collates one to another. And so you've got to love God first and then love your neighbor. But you cannot love your neighbor till you love you. Can you fall in love with you? Stop trying to make everybody else fulfill the needs in your life and let God fulfill it so that you can be fulfilled, so that you can now become a fulfiller in someone else's life because you now bring God into their existence. Not your desires, not your opinions, not your thoughts, but the one and true living God. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. But why did he say love your neighbor? He said, love your neighbor because they're the closest one to you besides your family that truly sees who you are away from church. I love it. Gee, it, it. The way this is written is, is kind of like a setup. I don't know if you see it yet, but it really is. It's to keep you in check and accountable on a consistent basis. Because here's the truth of it. We lift our hands here, but we cuss at home. We lift our hands in worship and declare what a great God we serve and how there is no other like him. But when he doesn't show up on Monday or when all hell breaks loose at work or your children are running amok, you don't mind telling God you've forsaken me. And your neighbor's wondering, well, where's the church person? Let me help you with something. I live in a neighborhood where not a lot of people know what I do for a living because I don't walk around broadcasting, hi, I'm a pastor. Because I might step out in my driveway and yell at my kids. <laughs> Sorry, crucify me. I get inside, I've had enough. Yesterday they were all, they were, I don't know if y'all, y'all ever had this problem with your kids? Because I had a problem with my kids yesterday. Every one of them were fighting. I finally looked at all four of them and I said, did y'all all just accept the plan of the devil today? What is wrong with y'all? <laughs> go inside. I'm sick of this. Go. Just go away. And, of course, I stepped out of the garage and realized that three of my neighbors are outside. Wonderful. <laughs> Here's the truth of it is at the end of the day, he says love your neighbor because your neighbor is watching you. The Bible says your living epistles being judged by men when? Daily. They are watching, not to judge you, not to pick you apart, but hoping that you might be who exactly you say you are. That if you say you love God, that they'll be able to see it, not have to wonder when it's going to show up. Oh, man, they're good on Sundays. Man, they keep inviting me to church, but I don't know if I want to go to church with them because on Tuesday, I can hear them screaming at their wives from the house. Or I can hear their wives screaming at their husbands from in the house. Or their kids are always, something's wrong. See, the truth of it is, is, he says, I need you to love your neighbor because I need you to understand that I've placed you where you are on purpose. He says, love your neighbor because they're the ones we overlook in order to love the ones that are easier to love. 
Come on, y'all work with me for a second. Yeah, you, how many of y'all mow your grass? You mow your grass? No, nobody mows your grass. Y'all have lawn attendants. So I'm so happy for y'all. <laughs> I have a team that mows my grass. Well, praise the Lord for you. You know how when you mow that grass exactly where you want it? And then your neighbor decides they're going to mow it at a different height and then scour your yard and then mess up your straight line that you've been working all day to maintain. Come on, man, work with me for a second. Or some of you ladies do this, too. Hey, you, you, come on. I, I've, I've watched people that, like, cross-hatch their yard because they want it to look like a baseball. And I'm like, okay, that's too much carrots grass. Okay, but, but you, you know, you like that straight line. You got your property line. You want it to be straight. You don't want to watch people walk up and go, what, what is this? And then they come into your yard and like, Nyang. and everything in you wants to go. Please don't do that anymore. I love you, I love God, but don't mow my grass like that ever again. <laughs> I, come on, work with me for a second. We, we got this guy in our neighborhood right now that likes to drive into our neighborhood at about mm, 11 o'clock. And he drives like three miles an hour down the whole neighborhood. And he's a grown adult. <laughs> And every time my son comes around the room, Dad, 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 what is the noise? And, and I told you last week, I want to look at my son so bad and say, it's the rapture, son, run. <laughs> ah! But I haven't had the guts to do it to him yet. But, but, like, everything in me wants to go over to his house and be like, I don't know if you got little ones, but I do quit waking my kids up, bruh. But the truth be told is, is that that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to love him. In the midst of where he is, in the midst of where he lives, so that I can show him and demonstrate the love of God. He says to love your neighbor because you're called to reach the one, not the 99. Aren't you glad God didn't say, hey, go reach the multitudes? He said, just go after one. Why do we do fill our seat Sunday? Because if you can just reach one, you might just change the world. For so long, we've ignored, ignored those that are situated closest to us because we might have to do this thing consistently. You might have to live this life 24-7. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. Love him with everything that you're willing to love you with. With the same desires, the same passions. We've got to love people. You ready for part three? Pastor, you ain't in part three yet? Nope. All that to get you right here. Amen. So turn with me in the same book, Mark chapter 12 and verse 32, and this is where we're going to be today. So after we have loved God and loved people, I want to step beyond that space. I want to deal with the last part of this storyline, one that is typically overlooked because we tend to sit right in the space of what he asks us to do, but we do not want to read the full context. And I am a fervent believer in full context scripture. I don't like it when people walk to me and go, Pastor, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this, and try to sandwich it together and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of it and try to feed it to me. No, you have to read it line upon line, precept upon precept, and understand why it was written, when it was written, and how it was written. Because you will not get the fullness of the word out if you start grabbing places to try to make it work for you. Can I just help you with something? The word doesn't always work for you. Sometimes it came to break you and deliver you and free you. So I want to get into this next part. Mark chapter 12, verse 32, it says this. You got it? Yeah. Amen. How many of y'all waiting me to put it on the screen? Amen. Okay. Mark chapter 12, verse 32, it says this. So the scribes said to him, so you understand that Jesus is in this moment, uh, and, and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees are all trying to 
uh, pigeonhole him into making a mistake so that they could basically call him out. And so the scribe, the writer of religious law, says to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all of your heart, with all of the understanding, with all of the soul, and with all of the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings, offerings and sacrifices. This is the scribe talking to him. Now, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Put verse 34 back up there for me for real quick. In that next slide, it says this. It says, now, when Jesus saw him, he answered him wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're good at writing religion. But you haven't let God into your heart yet. He didn't say that he had inherited the kingdom of God or was a part of the kingdom. He said, hey, man, listen, you have great understanding of what needs to happen. But you are not far. A distance that most people tend to live today in the church. A place called almost there. A place that we typically, because listen, I can preach every Sunday and give you great word. But if you don't do anything with it, it's useless. If all you do is come on Sundays to have your ear tickled or hear me tell a couple funny jokes about how crazy my children are, then you've missed it. Because nothing that happens in here is supposed to stay here. It's supposed to go home with you. It's supposed to go into your family, into your jobs, into your neighborhoods, so that you can be a vessel of his glory. Not just a church attender, but this happens to be, I think, the defeatist space that we live in that stops us from loving God and loving people. A place where we almost believe that God is the one true God. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Because other people say, well, there might be another way to God. <laughs> or, or, you know, there's, there, he's the big guy upstairs. Baby, listen, I don't serve the big guy upstairs. I serve God. He has a name. There is no other name but. There is no other name higher than. This is the only name by which, with which we can live, which we will inherit eternity. So I need you to understand that there is no other. But now when we're almost there, we'll get confused. And we'll start trying other things to find a sense of God, but never really finding God. A place where we almost love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A place where we almost love our neighbors as ourselves. A place where we almost love ourselves. We're close but have not stepped over that line. It, 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 it's the difference between waking up in the morning and not having everything but knowing that God's still working and you waking up in the morning thinking you're going to die and go to hell. It's the difference between understanding that, that, that you know, it, it, listen, listen, I, I love to say, man, how many of y'all have a perfect marriage in here? You notice my hand went down. Because nothing's perfect. But I do understand that through God, he is in the perfecting business. I, I, I understand that. But the problem is, is that what we have a tendency to do is to complain about the things that we don't have. Blame God for the things that we don't have. And then tell God that we love him. Come on, work with me. Y'all look at me like a calf looking at a new gate right now. Y'all know what I'm talking about right now because this is what we do. We almost worship God. We almost lift our hands. We almost pray. We almost finish 21 days of prayer and fasting. We almost show up to church. We almost 
seek his face. We almost read our words. We, this is the place that the church lives. Can we wonder why the church has lost its power? Because God can't work in the almost. He has to work in the committed believers who believe and do what they say. Operate in the function and the unction of the Holy Spirit. He is moving in that area. But we cannot live in the almost there. Listen, can I just say this to you? We have made excuses acceptable. Oh, you think it's, you notice the room, the air's gotten real tight in the room all of a sudden? Have y'all noticed that? Do y'all feel it? Because I feel it. I'm up here, I feel y'all. I was like, he's calling us out. I am. Welcome to church. Because here's the truth. Why are you so mean? Why are you saying things? I came here to hear the blessings. I'm trying to get you to it. I'm trying to get rid of your excuses. I'm trying to get rid of your reasonings. I'm trying to get rid of your stinking thinking so that we can finally arrive at the fullness of God. We have revival night tonight at 7. Well, I might go. If I told you Jesus himself was going to stand right here in flesh form and you could see him, boy, y'all come running. But then we step outside of the space that the Bible says that God is omnipresent. He is always in our midst. So why would I miss an opportunity? I might not see him, but I might receive him. See, here's the thing. I'll almost join a house group. I'll almost show up to church on time. I'll, I'll almost sing those songs. I'll almost be a giver. I'll almost. And you wonder why it's so easy to quit. Because God's not looking for an almost. He's looking for a commitment. He's looking for consistency. Not that if you fall off, God's mad at you. But he works well with those who are committed. You want to talk about commitment? This is not even my script. This is my verses today. You want to talk about commitment? Let's talk about the blind beggar who sat outside the gate beautiful for 32 years. Let's talk about the blind Bartimaeus who was outside and knew Jesus would come one day. One day. And so every day he said, put me outside. Walk me outside. I'll sit there and wait. I'll hear him. So much so that when he heard the sandals of Jesus, he knew it was him. Come on, that's Commitment. That's, that's commitment because you know that God is bigger than you are. God's bigger than everything that you're in the middle of. And so could we just step over the line, step beyond the space of just being conformed to an, a moment or an emotion and step over into a place called consistency where we can see God do greater in our lives. God's not asking you, hey, I need, I need you to do more. He said, no, I just want you to give me all of you. See, so many times we talk in the church, we think that the more we do in the church, God's more proud of us. That's not how God works. The Bible says faith without works is dead. And yes, there is a work element to the kingdom of God. But God is not looking for production. He's looking for the heart condition of one. And that's what he wants to touch. And, and we've got to get out of this space where it says, well, if you don't serve and if you don't lead a house group and if you don't do this and if you don't, God's angry with you. No, God is desperately calling you home. He wants you to sit at the table. He wants you to sit on the couch and watch the football game. He wants you to play in the backyard and throw the football. He wants you to cook in the kitchen. He wants you to hang out and be family. He wants you to just finally commit. And stop playing weekend attender or visitor at the hotel. Stop checking yourself in on Sundays and then checking yourself back out on Mondays. Make it your home. And realize that there is a room in the house that he has kept for you and has never given away. It still has the same coverings on the wall. It still has the same pictures. He's just waiting for you to come home and call it your home. His heart, your home, his house. 
your home, his family, your family. Not, well, I hope they'll love me, but I believe that they will love me. We've got to break up with this place called Almost There. It's the difference between hearing a message and carrying the message everywhere. Now that we know the two greatest commandments, we have this mission as a church and as believers, but how do we do it? How do we step out of the place called almost there? Anybody want to join the club for a second? Anybody want to be honest in the house of God? Anybody want to be completely raw, completely relevant, completely transparent in this moment and say, Pastor, I struggle with this. I struggle with this in my life sometimes. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. Okay, let me do it this way. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I got a problem with this. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm really good at worship. Sometimes I'm really good at complaining. Sometimes I'm really good at praying. Sometimes I'm really good at questioning. Sometimes I'm really good at serving. Sometimes I just wish people would serve me. Be real. Be honest. Be truthful. God says, listen, I... I'm trying to get you out of this space. I'm looking, I'm looking for you to step into this thing and really believe and walk in the things that I've shown you. I, how many more things, how many more parlor tricks do I need to perform to get you to say yes? How many more blessings? How many more times do I have to show up? How many more times do I have to heal you? How many more times do I have to deliver you? How many more times do I have to pick you up out of a valley for you to finally say he is the one true living God and I'll serve him all the days of my life? Or does he have to keep performing for you like some kind of sideshow monkey who is waiting for you to finally just tip him in a jar? Because this is where it's got to stop. I remember growing up in the church. I remember how we used to be. I, I was talking to somebody this week. Man, the church in the last 10 years has become a place that I don't even really like half the time. It is an egotistical, prideful. Bite your tongue, Brian. Bite your tongue. Socialistic. Click of a bunch of people that think they've arrived rather than a bunch of people who God's perfecting. I don't know if you want to join the club, but I got issues. Some a lot bigger than you know. Anybody want to join my club? It's a new house group. Issues. We'll just sit in a room and talk about it. Just get it out. Just get it out. <laughs> Puke it up. I got, I got stuff. I got pains. I got weariness at times. But you, you ever realize that all those things show up so you'll live in a place called almost there? Do you know how afraid the enemy is that you'll finally get to where he's calling you? How many of y'all, hey, if you did the 21 days of prayer and fasting and like week one was okay, but by week two, it just seemed like, huh? <laughs> We might need to renegotiate the process of this 21 days. Because it seemed like all hell breaks. You start arguing with your spouse. Your kids start acting like, you know what? You, 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 you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get there. You, you know, why is there some agitation? Why, why does it seem like everybody's coming? Do you, do you know why? Because 21 days of prayer and fasting is consecrating yourself to God. And the enemy wants nothing of that to happen in your life. So he's going to send every assignment so he keeps you at almost there rather than finally getting there. Could you imagine what the church would look like if we actually got there? That's, that scripture says, signs, miracles, and wonders follow those who diligently seek his face, consistently seek his face. 
Didn't say perfectly seek his face, but consistently seek his face. Why, why, does, why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because when you got a body of people who believe and walk in and refuse to allow distraction to, to tear them out, God says, watch what I'm about to do in that place. Hey, here's the thing. I get excited when the enemy attacks. You, you do what, Pastor? I get pumped. Tiff and, I, Tiff and I have a joke. It's called It's a Monday. Because it seems like when we're done here on a Sunday, all hell breaks loose on a Monday. When we walk out from this pulpit, we go home, we go to bed, we wake up on a Monday morning, everything breaks loose. Tiff and I jokingly call it a Monday now. You want to know why? Because the enemy so badly wants to get her and I off of everything he did on Sunday. So that we have to go back into the production mode of reproducing for a Sunday. Rather than understanding that the enemy doesn't want you to win. And let me help you with something. If there is no adversity in your life, you might want to check which direction you're headed. Because the enemy only attacks people who are headed in a direction from him, not a direction to him. So if the enemy is showing up in your existence and trying to distract you from the things of God, celebrate, get on your high horse, climb the top of your house, stand on the rooftop and shout, yes! Why? Because now you know that the enemy is afraid of you. The problem is we don't want to set alarms off in hell anymore. We just want to be accepted. I know, it's old school preaching. We don't want to set alarms off in hell. We just want hell to accept us so we don't have to fight. I started serving God so I wouldn't have to fight. The Bible said Jesus would fight my battles. I don't want to fight any battles. You still got to show up, Jack. You can't sit on the couch. Oh, God, tag, you're it. I'm not doing nothing today. Hope you can make it. We'll talk when you're done. Hope you win. But that's really how we treat God. We don't really get in the fight anymore. We just expect God to fix it all. God says, can you just show up? I'll give you three rocks and a sling, and my presence will carry the rest of it. I'll give you worship in your belly in the midst of the pain and struggle of your existence. And I'll show you how to walk right out of that thing. Because here's the truth of it. If he can teach you how to do it, you won't have to fight so much. A place called Almost There. A place where we almost fill the house because we actually are a church who are running after God. We're a place where we almost commit. A place where we almost love God. A place where we almost love people. Are you tired of living there yet? I want everything God has for me. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's what I want. I believe that when he made me, he has a reserve for me. And in the right timing, he has a desire to pour those things out in my life. The right timing. Be careful that you don't prodigal son your promises. That you take them prematurely rather than wait and wait for them in the expected time. I believe that God has things for me, but I also believe that I have to live my life in a way that keeps me in a place, not that God won't receive me, not that God won't love me through it, not that God won't walk me through moments of my own existence, but I believe that if we commit to going beyond almost there and get to a place called there, we won't ever want to take our blessings before this time. We'll just live in the promises that he has for us now. Watch this. I'm blessed. Okay, let me give it to you. I have a 180,000-mile Ford Expedition. I live in a rented house. My wife drives a Honda Odyssey that has paint chipping on it. 
I have four kids. We live in a four-bedroom house, two of which share a bedroom. I have all kinds of things that you think, well, Pastor, you're blessed. But none of it's mine. And yet God still did. When do you arrive? When you get everything? Or do you arrive when you understand that God's already given you everything? See, here's the thing. I've been homeless. I've lived in a single cab Ford Ranger. You just think about that for a second. It's really uncomfortable. Your seat doesn't lean back. You just lean over. I've taken showers in truck stops. I've ruined relationships because of bad decisions in my past as a young person. I've been to jail four times. But yet God is still good. See, here's the thing. Okay, I'll go a little further. I have a father who left us before I was born. I have a stepdad who was physically and verbally abusive my entire life, an alcoholic. I have all these struggles. I have broken relationships. I have all these things, but yet God is still good. Pastor, you're not hurt? No, because God is still good. See, here's the thing. If I get caught up in what everybody did to me, then I'll always live in the almost there. But when I finally say God is good in all things, I step over the almost there. And I step into the promises where when my mother and father, not my mother, but my fathers might forsake me, he never will. He didn't just become a friend to me. He became a father to me. He stepped into that role and filled that void in me. And so when people ask me, who's your daddy? Well, but you can't touch him. No, but I can talk to him every day, baby. And I promise you, when I get in the car and we open up conversation, he sits in that passenger seat with me, and we have good conversation. And he tells me where I'm right and tells me when I'm wrong. I don't know if you got that relationship with God, but I do. He doesn't mind telling me, hey, Brian, that's enough of that. You're going to stop all that foolishness. Because he's my father. See, here's the thing. This is the almost there. The almost there takes away your excuses. The almost there takes away your reasoning. The almost there takes away your pain. When you step across it, you now lose all of that stuff. You are not who you used to be. For the Bible says that all things are passed away and all things have become new. I am not broken, Jack. Pastor, you've been to jail. You've been homeless. Your dad quit on you. Uh, Shut up. I'm good. When the saints lose, I celebrate still. My wife, a different story. There's depression for like 24 hours and then a whole bunch of Facebook posts. It's a conspiracy. (laughs) When the king cake shop's not open for my wife. I'm so glad she's in the hallway right now working at kids' church. It's going to be a fun day in my house. Amen. I heard you talking about me. Yes, babe, I'm talking about you. Come on, think about it. What did you complain about this morning? I got four kids to wake up every Sunday morning. I got one that does like this. Son, get up. Son, we got to go to church. Seriously. Come on, work with me for a second. I have a daughter named Love. I'm not going to go any further than that. Amen. Amen. She's just a handful. We love her, though. I could, I could find 30,000 things to, to complain about. I, I put in, I, I'm just, I'm just going to tell all my stories today. That's what we're going to do. Uh, I put in three ceiling fans yesterday in my house. 
First of all, let me tell all of you men something. If you think ceiling fans are easy to put in, I will pay you next time because I am never doing that again. <laughs> Climb up in the roof, in the ceiling, the attic. There is no boards. It's just slats of two-by-fours. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about yet? And then you got to hope that you put your foot in the right place <laughs> so you don't put your body in the wrong place. Uh, uh, and, then, and then, of course, where the ceiling fans had to go in were where the ceiling went like the roof went like this to the floor. And so I rose my head up into about six nails. Yeah, I got some complaining space. And, and so by the time I was done putting in three ceiling fans, and then we put one fan in, there's a short in one of the wires, and so I have to go and repair the wire at 10 o'clock last night so that my, my daughter's room doesn't burn down with some kind of electrical fire. And, and, and I'm trying to fix all this stuff. And then I, I wake up this morning, and my wife walks in, and she goes, baby, Hope's fan's going, thum, 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 thum. I got some room to complain. But God is still had it all. I've lost it all. But I still got it all. Because I'm not going to live in the almost there. Let me tell you something. Loving God will be very easy for you when you leave you behind. Loving people will be very easy for you when you finally understand his love for you and leave the old you behind. (laughs) This mission becomes easy when we step out of the almost there. But how do we do it? Here's how we do it. Watch James chapter 1 verse 22. Almost done. James chapter 1 verse 21, verse 22, it says this, but be, but be, try that one more time, but be, you said it, I didn't, now you know it, and if you know it and you don't do it, then you don't believe it, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving who? Somebody say me. How do we do this? We have to become doers. Not just hearers, not seat sitters, not bench warmers. Get in the game. How many of y'all, how many of y'all played sports when you were younger? Did you enjoy sitting on the bench? Did you enjoy dressing up and playing water boy? No. You won it in the game. Even if you were bad, you won it in the game. Coach, come on, just put me in. Please. I, I, I remember uh, I was Little League football, Little League football. That was fun, man. I, I liked Little League football more than anything. Because you just got to hit people for no reason, just for the fun of it. <laughs> okay. I remember when I would play, I, I would play, I played defensive line, but I wanted to play offense too, but I, I wasn't good enough to play offensive line. I wasn't good to play offense. I was just good at hitting people. And I won't tell you all the dirty things I did, yes, even in Little League football. Amen. And, uh, and, and, and so I, 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 if you've ever played football, there is no greater feeling than connecting with somebody. Oh, man, it's like an adrenaline rush, dude. You know, I think working out and all this stuff and jumping out of planes is good. No, put helmet and pads on and knock somebody down. You'll be like, ooh, let's do it again. <laughs> hey, man, that's the best drug on the planet. Okay, anyway, so, so uh, I remember running off the sideline because I wanted to be in the game. I'd literally take my helmet off, sit right, literally, take a knee right next to the coach. If the coach moved, I moved. People are like, why are you all up on the coach? Because I'm waiting. Because I want back in. I want back in. Listen, God's the same way. Why don't we treat God the same way? God, I have such a desire to be in the game, I'm not going to leave your side. Oh, because sometimes we just don't want to be in the game. But if you will commit to being in the game, coach will see you. And he'll put you in. 
you'll start to walk in the fullness of it. And then you have, you'll start to walk in the blessings of it. And you'll start walking in the fullness of it. I can't give you the details, but this, this uh, what was it? Uh, okay, Pastor Troy came to me a couple weeks ago and said, or about a week ago, and said, Pastor, God told me to tell you from a Sunday, Saturday morning prayer time, God told me to tell you that God is about to bring provision into this church. And I received it. And you know, you know, so many times God will share something with you, and you're like, man, I received that. But you don't see it yet. A place called Almost There says you hear it, but you're waiting to see it. But when you step beyond Almost There, you hear it, and you believe it. And you're ready for it when it comes. I'm not going to tell you who did it, but I'm coming into the office on a Friday morning. I had breakfast with my kids. I dropped my two big ones off at school. I'm driving on the way to church, I'm to work, and, and, and I'm listening to worship music. And God just says to me, he says, Brian, I'm speaking to people right now this morning to bless this house. Be ready to receive it when it comes. 45 minutes later, I get a text message from a business owner in this community who calls me and says, Pastor, I have a gift for the church. Can you come by my office and get it from me today? Yes, I can. Come on, work with me for a second. You'd be the same way. Yes, I can. This man who's never walked the door, never walked into the door of our church, never sat in a service, only he has, he helps my wife, and that's all I'm going to say. I walk into his office. I'm sitting there. Here's the crazy part. He didn't just know what he was doing. His entire staff knew what he was doing. I heard him kibitzing in the back, kind of talk secretively. I have really good ears, and uh, I could hear everything they were saying. They're like, he's here. He walks out of the back room, comes in, grabs this thing. He walks to me and says, God told me to give this to you today on my way into work this morning. Okay. Walked into my car because you don't open it in front of folk. It's respect. Open up the check for $1,000. You go, praise God, where's mine? Almost there. Because almost there says I can't celebrate till it's in my pocket. Celebrate someone else's blessings and you'll step beyond the almost there into the fervent blessings of a God who says, I'll never leave you stranded. I'll always be more than enough in your existence. When you get blessed, I celebrate you. When you get a new house and I'm still renting, I celebrate you. Why? Because I'm hoping you're going to invite me over. Amen. Let my kids swim in your pool. Amen. Because I'm not putting one in. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the thought process. We got to get out of the almost there. We got to celebrate each other. I never forget one year my wife got, when my wife got her new van, church folk got angry. How does pastor afford a Honda? I say, I don't know. How do you afford what you got? Well, I don't work. We don't labor. Hmm. A place called Almost There. They didn't see the car that was sitting in the parking lot for three months that had broken down. And I got $500 for it when I traded it in. They didn't see those days. They didn't see the months that we went without money. They didn't see the apartment, the three-bedroom apartment that five of us lived in. When the church wasn't growing and wasn't doing what we were hoping for and the finances were tight and we were barely getting paid. They didn't see the three years that I worked at a full-time job overnight and then still pastored this church and ran three Bible studies a week and led the youth, the young adults, and the church and led worship every Sunday morning. They didn't see those days. They just saw it now. They didn't see that I, see, y'all work with me for a second. Work with me for a second. We got to step beyond that. I can't wait to hear about your blessings in 2020. I can't wait to hear about the new cars, the new houses, the new this, the new that. Your kids did this. Your family did this. Your marriage is great. Yes. Why? Because it keeps me from living in an almost there. Because it tells me that I'm next. I'm next. 
I want to get there. We have to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we have to love people, our neighbors, as ourselves. This statement will be how this church succeeds, grows, and becomes everything that God has orchestrated it to be. It is not about the people who stand on this platform. It is not about any of that. It is about you and me in one accord as one family doing what God has called us to do, to love God, love people. Everybody stand to your feet.